0: You're listening to TIP.
1: On today's show, I bring back Chris Noggle to talk more about infinite banking and how it can actually be applied in real life, like buying cars. Chris is an accomplished entrepreneur, real estate investor, and author. He is the CEO and founder of Flipout Academy and The Money School, while having also participated in an HGTV show called Risky Builders with his wife, Larissa. We got a lot of feedback on the last episodes about infinite banking. There was a bunch of our listeners who sent messages to me and felt that the concept is too good to be true and may be bordering on a scam. And honestly, even though I've talked to Chris about this concept many times, both on the podcast and off, my head still hurts when I think about it and I'm still trying to wrap my head around it all. So I'm happy to have Chris back to discuss more of the logistics of this concept and how it can actually be used in real life situations for everyday people like you and me. I hope this helps clarify the concept. And answers most of the lingering questions you might have had from previous episodes. This episode is slightly different from the previous episodes because Chris and I walked through a presentation that he put together to better explain these concepts. You'll hear throughout the episode that we mentioned this quite a few times, so if you want to follow along, you can click the first resource link below in the show notes and it will open the presentation that we're walking through in this episode. This visual should help make the concepts more clear and easy to follow. And it's even a good resource to refer back to in the future. And one last thing before we get into the episode I was looking at the back end data analytics for the show a few days ago, and I noticed that there's a lot of listeners who listen to the show but aren't subscribed, which means you're not getting notifications when new episodes are released, and you have to continually check back to see when the episodes are released, if there are any new ones. So I just wanted to recommend that if you guys are enjoying the show and you want to, stay up to date with what's going on and get updated and automatically download the newest episodes, just click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast player. All right, now let's get into this week's episode with Chris Noggle.
2: You're listening to Millennial Investing by The Investor's Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Millennial Investing Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Robert Leonard, and with me today, I bring back Chris Noggle. Welcome to the show, Chris.
2: Hey, thanks for having me back.
1: You are the first three guests I've had here on my shows. Technically, you were on my real estate show once, and this is your second time here on Millennial Investing, but still, we've done three podcast episodes together. So, welcome back.
2: Yeah, I hope this isn't the last.
1: For those who didn't catch our previous episodes together, you can go back and listen to those on episode 60 of this podcast and episode 31 of my real estate investing podcast. Give us a quick rundown on who you are and how you got to where you are
2: today. A normal guy grew up in Buffalo, New York in a lower middle-class family with a big dream. And back then when I was a kid, my dream was to be a pro snowboarder. And I did what everybody else was unwilling to do. And you know, by the early 2000s, I became a pro snowboarder. I started a clothing line in my mom's basement called Fat Clothing Company, which by the time I was 17, had turned into the dream of having my own skateboard snowboard shop called Fat Man Board Shops. And uh, it required quite a learning lesson, but my mom putting her house up on the line so that I could uh, get a loan for this store. And by the time I was 17 turning 18, Fat Man Board Shops was a thing. And at 17, you know, you got a $70,000 loan that your mother's house is at risk. That's a lot of pressure. I'm a kid. I guess I was a kid at that time. So I took things seriously. And and I remember it was really tough, but made it through those tough times. And I'll never forget early 2000s, things were rocking and rolling. I was a pro snowboarder, had my shops going. I was kind of living the life. And then the first recession hit that I'd ever been in the dot-com crash in the early 2000s. And it forced me to get a job. And that job could have landed me delivering pizzas for Little Caesars, but I landed in Wall Street, of all places, pro snowboarder, got a skateboard, snowboard shop, and where do I land? Wall Street. And I thought it was a temporary thing, but it ended up being a, a very permanent thing that I loved. I ended up becoming one of the top financial advisors in the firms I was at, and I was crushing it. By 2008, I'd flipped two houses. I was making high six digits. It's just absolutely top of the world, still snowboarding and I took another big leap in 2008, and I bought a strip mall, a dilapidated one, and I converted it into three spaces that I was going to rent out. But you know, as many of you already know, 2008 wasn't exactly the right time to do much of anything. So the Great Recession hit me like a Mack truck, brought me to my knees one month away from bankruptcy. And I'll never forget I, my, my girlfriend at that time, who's now my wife and the, the mother of our, our little girl. She uh, ended up helping me pay the mortgage, ended up helping me pay the utilities on my house. We rented some bedrooms out in the house to make it through those times. From 2009 to 14, I jumped into real estate, still doing the advisory, and I bought apartment buildings. And everything was going great. I got up to 36 units by 14. And then in 14, the bank pulled a fast one on me, said my debt-to-income ratio wasn't good, and they pulled the rug out from underneath me, rose my lines of credit, called one of my mortgages, it was game over for Mr. Noggle. So I had to sell all 36 units. The dream house, me and my now wife, uh, Larissa, had bought, and I was literally at the lowest point in my life. So that was that point where in life, you start like really questioning everything because I'd had money, then I lost it all. Then I had it back again, and here I was losing it all again. And that's the point when I really realized there was a problem. Because I went to a three-day event to learn how to flip houses because they were giving away free iPod shuffles to all attendees. And I met two people. I met a guy named Greg and a guy named Mike. They were my first two mentors. But what was so unique is Mike had a TV show on A&E, and Greg was the bank. He was the guy that lent the money on all Mike's deals. And I remember listening to them talking about money. And how they used money and what they did with money. And I remember a couple key things being an advisor, you pick up on money quick when people are talking about something you've never heard about. And they're talking about things as an advisor up to that point that I'd never heard about in my life. And it literally was 180 degrees different than everything that I'd been taught in, in Wall Street. So at that point, I dove in and I started deciding I had to learn what these two gentlemen knew and what all their friends knew. And that was my first journey into understanding what the wealthy do with money that everybody else is not taught. And that journey began in 14, and it still hasn't ended. That period of time has been just an awakening. I've learned the secrets of the wealthy, what they do with money, how they use money, and how they use money very different than all of us. And I mean, all of us. And literally, the secret sauce is what we've talked about in a lot of the other podcasts we've been on, is that one magic change. That one thing that we have to change in our life that will change everything, and that is where your money goes first. And that place where it goes is commonly, known, it goes by many names, but infinite banking is a common name by today's standards. Privatized banking, if you go back and look at the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds, that's what they called it. But that one change is that we no longer use banks to store our capital. We use mutually owned insurance companies in a way that no one has ever taught most people that I see we're going to
1: spend the majority of our time today talking about specifically buying cars and how there's a better way to do that than the traditional ways that most people use. But before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about what infinite banking is and lay the groundwork for the rest of the conversation that we're going to have. So what exactly is infinite banking?
2: So a lot of people don't know what infinite banking is because when they hear it, maybe they've heard of infinite banking and they think, oh, that's that specially designed and engineered whole life. And all the gurus I've heard from said whole life is a terrible place to put my money. But infinite banking is not about the specially designed and engineered whole life. The whole life insurance policy that we designed to move our money, that's all it is. That whole life vehicle is nothing more than a machine. It's a machine that moves our money the most efficient way possible by all financial standards. And I'm truly saying that it is the most efficient vehicle to move money through. So the whole life is what people think infinite banking is, but infinite banking is not whole life. It is the process of taking back control of your money. It is essentially the method of becoming the bank and taking back the banking functions in your life. And I don't want to go too deep into that, but infinite banking is nothing more than a process that allows you to do exactly what the banks do day in and day out. And it's exactly why the banks make 400 to 1300% by BauerFinancial.com. You can look it up yourself 400 to 1300% more money than we make on our money at the banks. We literally give up control of our money and the bank takes over control and makes a ton of money. And all we need to do with infinite banking is take and mimic what the banks do and do it over and over. So infinite banking is a process that involves banking concepts. And it's really just moving your money from one place to the other and then taking it back.
1: If this is your first time hearing this concept, definitely go back and listen to episode 60. Chris and I did a deep, deep dive into this concept where we talk about this in general. This is going to be part two, like grad school, if you will, of infinite banking. So go back and check that out if some of this is, is new to you. Other than just buying cars, which we'll talk about in just a minute, what else do people typically use infinite banking for? Things like real estate and other things like that.
2: You know, infinite banking is a miraculous thing because you can pretty much use it for anything. But some of the common things that I teach and that I work with our members on is buying real estate. So, when most people buy real estate, they go to a bank, a hard money lender, or a private money lender. And we give up a lot of interest for doing that. We go to a bank, you know, our interest rates can be pretty low, but the bank makes and takes between 80 to 85% of every single mortgage payment that you make in the first seven years. 80 to 85% of that is going to interest just look at your mortgage statement. It's right there in front of you. It's called velocity of money. The bank understands and figured out how to beat you, even though you think it's about the interest rate. It's not. It's about the velocity. So the bank's always winning there. Private money and hard money, I use it. I I lend on it, but it's also very expensive. 10, 12, sometimes more percent interest that you're paying. So to use this in real estate involves just changing that one thing, putting your capital in this specially designed and engineered whole life, and then Using that money to buy real estate. Today, I've kind of I've flipped a lot of houses, 263 to date, and now I don't really flip as many houses. I lend a lot of money, so I have become what Greg was back then. I've become the bank, and I use these banking policies, this infinite banking concept, to lend money. So, what else can you use it for? Well, I mean, a lot of things. I had did a case study today with Shauna, and she uses it every year. She Puts money in this policy to fund her Disney vacation. She goes to Disneyland with her daughter. And by doing it, just that one change, changing where the money goes first, she gets all the money back every single year for each and every Disneyland trip she takes. You can buy boats this way. You can use it to gosh, there's nothing you can't do. There's really not paying off debt. If someone's in debt, we can show you how to erase your debt very quickly using the same thing the bank does, that velocity, we do that using the infinite banking concept. So it really is infinite in what you can do. But today, we're really going to focus on the one thing that I love, and that's cars. And when I learned that I could get all the money back for every single car I would ever buy, drive, and own, I immediately said, that sounds too good to be true. Well, today, we're going to show you how it works.
1: Let's talk about that idea real quick about it being too good to be true. Because a lot of people that have heard our previous episodes together have been intrigued by this concept of infinite banking. I've been super intrigued by it. I've had a lot of people reach out to me. I know you have too. But there are also a lot of people, both that listen to the show and that are just out there on the web, that are very skeptical of infinite banking. Some even go as far as calling it a scam. Tell us how and why infinite banking isn't a scam and why these people who
2: are critical of it are actually wrong. Well, the whole thing, it boggles my mind when someone says to me, oh, that's a scam because it's been being used for hundreds of years. So how can someone tell me something's a scam if the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, the Ray Kroc, uh, you know, the McDonald's founder, the Walt Disney's, the Joe Biden's, the McCain's, I, I could keep going on, the Warren Buffett's, all use this. So if they're all using this, and somebody says to me, oh, that's a scam, I say to them, how in the world can something that's 100 plus years old be a scam if it has never once failed anyone?" not only that, then I go into all the books. There are books upon books upon books that talk about this. People like Tony Robbins and Robert Kiyosaki, they talk about in their books. Four, I think it's Four Day work week. he talks about it in his book. So when I hear that, I just simply know one thing. I know that the person that says that has no idea what this is. And the other thing too, though, that I'll go into is it sounds too good to be true. And I wholeheartedly understand that because I remember sitting in Salt Lake City in a cheesecake factory with Mike, looking at him when he told me about this thing, leaning in, and I was an advisor, a high-level financial advisor, leaning into him and saying, Mike, there's no way it works that way. That sounds too good to be true. But that is sort of just that answer we want to tell ourselves when something does seem too good. The next thing I did, though, is I took a leap in. And I started researching it, and I started understanding it, and I started doing the same thing that all your listeners will do. They'll Google it. They'll go on, they'll look at the books from Tony Robbins and Robert Kiyosaki. And what you will find is this is not a scam. This is not too good to be true, not even close. And this can never fail. The only thing that can fail about the infinite banking concept is the person on the other side, the person that does not apply this in their life. That is failing because you never tried, you never applied it. And that's really the big difference. Some people will decide to take that leap, and that leap will change their life that much, I promise them. Other people will stand on the other side, look at it and say, oh, that sounds too good to be true. That must be a scam. And they will never understand what true financial freedom can mean because they were too scared to take that leap. And I always say the, you've heard me say this, but the the quote by Will Rogers, I think sums it up perfectly. Will Rogers says, the biggest problem in America is not what people don't know. The biggest problem in America is what people think they know that just ain't so. When you think you know something, that's the biggest problem. So you got to be careful what you think you know. You really need to find the truth.
1: What is interesting is that you and I actually have a bit of a similar background. Mostly we have similar interests. We both have or do ride dirt bikes. We like things with motors, cars, and specifically nice cars. Tell us a bit about how your snowboarding led into cars and how that has impacted
2: Infinite Banking. You know, It's a profound story, and, and I very rarely get to talk about it, and I'll never forget it. There was a pro snowboarder by the name of Terje Yeah, okay? he was from Finland, uh, and he was one of the best snowboarders of the days when I was a pro rider, and t- today he's a legend. And I'll never forget, there was this video that was produced by Volcom, and it was one of his sponsors. And it was black and white. And I remember I was just a young kid. It flashes through his garage, okay? And it shows his three cars in this garage. And all three of these cars were Audis. Now, up to this point in my life, I didn't even know what an Audi was. I knew what a Chevy was, a Ford was, and a Dodge. That was it. So I see these four little rings on the front of these cars, and they were beautiful. And because he was my idol and like somebody I really looked up to, and now he had these cars, I, I had to research it. So I looked into, what is Audi? What are these Audi S4s that were in his garage? And I found out they were an all-wheel drive, German-engineered car that was unbelievable in snow. They rode them up Pikes Peak and instantly, also was like something came over me. I became infatuated with these cars. And all I could think about is, how do I get one of these? Now remember, I had no money as a kid growing up. And even as a young snowboarder, I still had no money. So an Audi, a German engineered car, just had a big price tag. And I'll never forget, that's where the journey began. And the first Audi I owned, I don't remember what year it was, early 80s, I bought a 4000 CS Quattro. It was garbage, but it it had the four rings on the front. And at that moment, everything changed. And you're going to see some of the Audis I owned tonight. But that one moment started that love for automobiles, but not just automobiles,
0: all wheel drive German automobiles. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors.
3: Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break Explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon? And millions of other queries right at your fingertips. Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A dot com.
0: Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. This and other information can be found on the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. All right, back to the show. For those listening to
1: this episode right now, I realize that podcasts are in audio form and they don't generally make for a great medium to share a bunch of numbers. So Chris and his team have put together an eight slide presentation that walks through this next discussion we're about to have. It really paints a good picture of it and it makes it easier to follow. I'll put a link to the presentation in the show notes below. You can just click the link and you should be able to access it instantly for free. You could check it out after the episode, or you can pause the episode right here, open up the presentation, then play the audio while you flip through it. Really, whatever works best for you. So Chris, we're going to walk through these three different scenarios and the three different cars.
2: Walk us through the first scenario. All right, so you know, and I I have visuals for those of you that are just listening. I'll do a really good job of explaining this, but there are visuals that you should check out because it really the visual just brings it and makes it all together real. So this journey of these three cars that I bought, okay, these weren't, you know, the only cars I bought this way, but these are just three of them that I chose to explain. The first car was a twenty thousand dollar automobile and by today's standards, you can look at it and you can say, "Oh, twenty thousand—that's not a very expensive car." But back when I did this, that was a very expensive car for me. That was a car that was so unobtainable that I didn't know how I was going to make it happen. The second car is a forty-five thousand-dollar car that I bought. That was my icon, my dream car. That goes back to that Terry J. Hawkinson story. It was the car I saw in that garage that I always wanted and never thought I could have. And the third car is the vehicle that recently I just bought my wife when we had our daughter, who is now seven months old. So that was her gift. But what we're really going to talk about specifically is not so much the cars, it's the method of how I bought the cars. You see, the infinite banking concept, like I said, involves you making one change in your life or adding one step to your life, and that is where your money goes first. You all put your money in a bank or other sources that are traditionally known, and that's where you hold your capital. And if you wanted to buy a car, there's three ways to buy a car. You could, first, you could buy a car for cash. You could save enough money in your bank account or in some other traditional account, take the money out, which stops the flow of interest or the flow of growth, and then give it to the dealership and exchange your money for this new automobile. You can do that. And in doing that, you have no monthly payments. You don't owe anyone any money, but you just exchanged your best dollars that you will ever have, your most valuable dollars today for a car that is guaranteed to depreciate. And you stop, or you you gave up the earning potential on that money. So the first car that we're talking about is a $20,000 car. So if you bought this car cash, you'd give up $20,000, and you'd give up the right to earn interest or gains on that $20,000, but you've got the car to drive. Okay. The second way you can buy a car is you could finance the car through a bank or a finance company. And in that, you exchange monthly payments to the car dealership in exchange for the right to drive the car. And over a period of time, let's call it five years, that car is paid off. You now have a car that is significantly depreciated, but you've paid all the money to the bank and you now rightfully own that car. And most people, when they rightfully own the car, what do they do? They go buy another car because that car that they rightfully own starts breaking down and it loses that new car smell. And we know we all love that new car smell. The third way you can buy a car is is very popular today. It's least Leasing is nothing more than you exchange a monthly payment for the right to buy or to drive and essentially rent a car for a period of time. Let's say it's three years, you're making monthly payments to the dealership's finance company and they give you the keys and you drive the car. When you're all done after that lease, you hand them back the car keys and the car and you walk away with nothing or chances are you release a car. The only person winning in leasing is the dealership. There is a fourth way, but I don't suggest it. And you could always steal a car, but we're not going to talk about that. So the first car that we're going to talk about is a car that I bought. It was a, in you know, there's a, it'll be a photo in a second, but it was a $20,000 car. And how I normally would have bought this is I would have taken and bought it by taking a car loan from a traditional bank. And I remember I actually went back, the car loan would have been 5% back in this year, which was 2008 when I bought this car. The payment would have been four hundred and sixteen dollars a month. Today, I look at that and I say, "Oh, that's not a very big payment." But back then, four hundred and sixteen dollars a month for a car—that was a huge number for me. That was a number that I looked at because this is during that two thousand eight crash. That I didn't know how I was going to do it, but where there's a way, there's a will, and that roughly works out to be five thousand a year. So, if I were to finance this car through a regular bank, I'd pay two thousand nine hundred and seventeen dollars in interest to the bank, but I'd have the car. Car number two, and I'm just going to kind of sum up these three different cars. The first car, just so you know what it is, it was a Audi A8. Okay, it was a beautiful automobile, big luxury car. Okay, the second car was an Audi S4 Avant, all black, custom wheels, lowered. It had all the trim outs. I paid forty-five thousand for that car. Now, again, I would have financed that at the bank, but in this year, after the Great Recession, interest rates were lower, so I could have financed this at three percent with the bank. Over five years, that means my payment would have been eight hundred and seventy-five bucks. Ouch! Meaning I would pay ten thousand five hundred a year for the right to drive this forty-five thousand-dollar car. And if I did pay the car off after five years, I gave the bank three thousand eight hundred and six dollars. These are just the ways that we buy cars, folks. I'm just putting the numbers in front of you. The third car is my wife's Porsche. It's a Porsche Cayenne Hybrid. Okay, sixty-three thousand dollars is the price. Five-year loan at the rate of four point five percent. Would be thousand eighty-four dollars a month. That's a heavy car payment. But if you want a Porsche, that's just what they cost, and that's thirteen thousand dollars a year. Total interest that you would pay over a five-year period at four and a half percent, the bank would make nine thousand seven hundred fifty-eight dollars to you, or from you. Now, if you look at that, really, this is just how we buy cars. This is how I bought cars for years and years and years, and I never thought about how much money the bank made on me. I just thought about I want that car and the bank's willing to give me the money. So I exchange monthly payments to the bank for the right to buy buy and drive the car. But then I heard about this system. And this system allowed me to completely change the dynamic of where and who gets those interest payments. And it also allowed me to participate in something that Albert Einstein calls the eighth wonder of the world, and that is uninterrupted compound interest. Well, he calls it the most powerful thing in the universe. I say it's the most powerful thing in the financial world those that understand it, earn it. Those that don't, pay it. For many years, I was on the other side of that coin that Albert said. Okay, He said, those that don't, pay it. Well, you can see, if I paid interest to the bank for all these cars that I just told you about, I would have given the bank $16,481. Now, that's a lot of money. A lot of money that I want in my account. But if all I did is just changed one thing, and that one thing is where the money went first, I then could change the dynamic of that. So let's now look at my way of buying cars. So whether these numbers are your, these are my numbers, and I want to be clear about this. The numbers I'm going to talk to you about and give you, these are the amounts I was depositing. I was always a good saver. I was always saving good money, just like Robert, you're you're a good saver too. We've talked about this and this is one of the many similarities. I was always willing to give up a little bit today to save so that I could do the things and have the things that I wanted. Well, my number that I was saving at this point in time. Was $18,000 a year. Now, where was that money being saved prior to when I started the infinite banking concept? Well, some of it was going to my 401k. Some of it was going to a savings account. Some of it would go to my mutual fund investment account. So between all of those, I was putting $18,000 of what I was making away. Now, it's not a lot of money, but for me, it was. All I did is I took and I changed where I put that money. You see, when, I, when Mike told me about this and I learned what infinite banking was, I changed. Just one thing, and I changed where that eighteen thousand was going. I stopped putting money in the mutual fund account. I stopped putting money in my four hundred and one k, and I stopped putting money in my savings account. And I changed who held that money and where it went first. And I put it into this specially designed and engineered whole life all privatized banking. So the numbers on the screen, whether or not you can see them or not, it shows me putting eighteen thousand dollars a year away for seven years, and that it just I'm just showing it in the future. And what I did is. For the first two years, all I did is I just put eighteen thousand into this vehicle and I saved it. But by the third year, I didn't just keep the money in there. I actually took twenty thousand out. Now how I took the money out was through what's called a loan. You see, the insurance companies, at any time that you have money in your account, you can take that money out. The first year I put eighteen thousand in, I could have taken ten thousand nine hundred. The second year I put eighteen thousand in, I could have taken twenty two thousand out. The third year I put eighteen thousand in, I could have taken Forty thousand out every year. The compounding works in my favor, and I have more money to use. So what I did is, in the third year, I bought this car, this Audi A8, and I took twenty thousand dollars from my especially designed and engineered whole life. and I took it as a loan. Now, when I say that, most of you think of a loan as something that has to be paid back. But what if I told you that the insurance company will never ever ask me for that twenty thousand dollars back? I probably would confuse you. But you see, the insurance companies. Doing that provide these products, these vehicles for the infinite banking policies, when you take this loan, you're actually not taking your money. You're taking the insurance company's money from their general account. They're making you a loan from their general account. But the loan never needs to be paid back because the insurance company promised to pay a death benefit someday when you graduate. It's a nice way of saying the day you die. So the day you die, they're going to pay a death benefit to someone that you choose as your beneficiary. But if I take 20 grand, it's a loan the insurance company just takes 20 grand off of that death benefit. I'm literally just leveraging the death benefit that they have to pay anyway. So I now have 20 grand in my hand. The choice that I'm going to now make is what to do with that 20 grand. What do I do? I buy this Audi A8. In the Audi A8 that I buy, what I'm basically going to do is I'm going to use that 20,000 to buy the car. But instead of paying that $5,000 per year, remember that 416 a month to the bank, I'm going to pay it to my bank. So the same $416 a month I would have given to any bank in the United States that would have financed this AA, I'm now the bank. I saved the money. I paid cash for the car with my banking policy. So now I'm going to pay myself back the same amount I would give to the bank. It's the same thing. You're either going to exchange dollars to someone else or you're going to give it to your bank. I'd much rather pay it to my bank. And in doing that, here's the result. For this very first car that I bought, Okay. This first Audi A8, the is right there. And you can see the date stamp. I intentionally put that on there. 4-6 of 2008. Okay. So that's the year, I'm sorry. I think that's, that's June 4th, 2008. I'll never forget it. Sitting in the driveway of the house I lived in. That was my pride and joy. Over the period of five years, I continued to save $18,000 per year into this plan. And it wasn't new money. I didn't have to work harder for that. It was just money that I was already saving. But then what I did is instead of making $416 a month payments to the bank, I made them to my bank. I put them back in my policy. So what happened is over seven years, so seven-year time frame, I put $126,000 into this banking policy. But I also paid myself $25,000, which is the same money I was just going to pay it to a bank for the car, right? the same car payments. But then if you really look at the numbers, what ended up happening, and I got them up here on the screen, but I'm going to read them to you. Here's the results of how I did this. The total deposits plus the car loan payments that I made to my bank were 151,000. 126 into the policy, 25,000 repaying myself for the car loan. That's 25 grand. Because remember, when I paid myself back for the car loan, I paid myself the exact same amount I would have given the car dealership, which included interest. So that's 25 dollars So 151 total was the amount that I laid out. But then I bought a car for 20,000. So we subtract 20 grand from that. So my net deposits were 131,000. But my cash value, after all this was done, the amount of money I had in my banking policy was 116,343. These are actual numbers, right off of that. So if we really did the math, because this is a lot of numbers, here's the the main thing you need to understand. For this first Audi A8, buying the car with my bank instead of using someone else's, when I had this car fully paid for in the fifth year, I literally had gotten back 89 cents. Of every single dollar that I spent on that car. Now, it's not 100%, but I don't know many people, I don't know many at all, that could go buy a car and five years later get 89 cents back for every single dollar they paid for that car. But it's right there in front of you. If you watch this video, there indeed I did. But you know, that's not exciting. So let's get on to the, the real fun part. Robert, you're into cars, right? You like, you like fast cars? Yes, I do. All right. So do you know what this, this beast right here is? An Audi. S4 Avant, and this thing was done to the max. It had a growl to it that basically when I rev that thing up in the driveway, every neighbor came out. Some were mad. Some were like, Oh yeah. But this car cost me 45,000 bucks. So remember, this is now year eight in my savings program, in my infinite banking policy. So the Audi A8 that I already had, okay, I sold that car, but I'd gotten 89 cents back. So when I sold it, it was pretty much like getting pure profit. So what I did then is in year eight, I took another loan for my banking policy for forty-five thousand. Now at this point, I had the remaining balance in cash that I had in my bank was one hundred and three thousand. But I took forty-five thousand out. I bought this gem right here that you, that me and Robert are looking at, and you all should look at because it it's a beautiful automobile. My car payments were steep, and how I figured out my monthly car payment to pay my bank back was I just literally went online and I said, how much would a bank charge me to get a forty-five thousand dollars loan over five years? and right there it would have worked out to be about $10,500 a year so if that's how much money i would have given any other bank i'm going to pay that 10,500 back to my bank now here's the interesting thing too i want to point out now that we're on car 2 is if you're making monthly payments back to your bank and if you're in control of your terms of your loan if something came up you lost your job things hit you know got hard times like like what i did if i couldn't make those $10,500 annual payments what would happen? Would someone, some repo guy come and take my car? No, it's my money. I'm simply treating my money the same way as I would treat the bank's money. But the thing that's different is if you didn't pay the bank, the real bank, your car payment, guess what happens? They come take your car. Then they take your credit score from you too. And now all of a sudden, you got a lot of climbing to do just to get back where you were. When you can't make payments to your own bank, the only person that loses is really you. And you don't even lose, you just don't make as much money. I just wanted to be clear about that. These $10,500 payments, I set them up. I just treated my money the same as I treated the bank's money. And that's what I would have paid the bank. So if I continue to pay for this car for five years, okay, so I'm in year 12. Now, you'll see on the numbers here, if you're looking at this video, in year 10, I was putting $18,000 away into this banking policy. But in year 11, I was no longer allowed to put $18,000 away. I could only put 7200 So in year 11, I'm only putting $7,200 away. And the reason for that, I'm not going to get into, but it involves the IRS and the max seven pay rule. It's an IRS rule. You can't fund these forever the way that we're doing them. They're built for banking. And the IRS knows that we're doing this. The IRS knows that all the money that I'm making in this is tax-free. So they limit the amount that I can put in, which is exactly why I have seven of these banking policies, not just one. I have seven of these. I'm just showing you one. But that ten thousand five hundred that I paid myself back every single year, the result after the five years of that is years eight through twelve. I put in sixty eight thousand four hundred dollars. That's how much money I deposited in my banking policy. Eighteen thousand years eight, nine, and ten. Seventy two hundred years eleven and twelve. But then I also put fifty two thousand five hundred back into my bank, which just was me repaying myself for the car loan that I took from my bank. But if we run the numbers here. In this five-year block, I put $120,900 into this banking system. 68,400 in deposits, 52,500 as repayments for the car. I bought the car for 45, so we got to subtract that, which means my net deposits into my banking system were $75,900. That's how much money I put in after buying the car. If we do the math in year 12, if we look at how much cash my bank now has, which is $219,719. If we ran that and we figured it out, that means that for this Audi S4 Avant, I literally just got back $1.53 for every single dollar I paid for the car. In other words, for every dollar of that 45 I paid for the car, I got back $1.53. How many of you would be okay buying an Audi S4 Avant knowing that you're going to get, for every dollar you spent on that car, five years later, you get $1.53 back? Folks, welcome to my world and welcome to the world of privatized banking, because this is how it worked for Walt Disney, for Ray Kroc, for the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, for Joe Biden, for you know, McCain. They all use this. They use it because of this. Maybe they're not buying cars. Maybe they're funding political campaigns or you know, funding the opening of McDonald's and the payroll. Maybe they're funding Walt Disney World. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. I'm just showing you cars. So that's the second car. Now that car was an amazing car. I had a lot of great experiences, but you know what? I had to grow up, and the cash value in that plan grew by hundred and sixteen thousand during that period of time. But this is the fun one. You know, this is my third car. This is up to today's time. So just this car was bought last year. I think it was for it was like right around Christmas time. It was right when we found out that my wife was pregnant with Viviana. So that's a Porsche Cayenne, okay? A Porsche Cayenne S Hybrid, all blacked out, black wheels. You know, it's pretty pretty nice looking car. It's not my car; it's my wife's. She wanted this car so bad. She never had a car like this, and I said, "You know what? Let's buy it." So we went into the dealership and we played the game of negotiating with the dealership on the car. And you know, we all have done that. Robert, have you ever played the game of negotiating? I have. It's fun, isn't it? Like you sit down, you find the car, like all right. Well, let let's let's talk about it. And you know, you slide your number across the table, they take that number into their finance department, they come back, they slide the number back over, you're like, uh-uh, we're not there yet. So you write a number down, you slide it back over, they take it to the finance room, they come back, they slide it back over, and you're like, we're close, but we're not there. We have to get to this number. If you want to earn my business, this is the number we got to be at. You slide it over, you say, This is it, final chance. They go into that little room, they come back, they slide it back, and they say, You're lucky day, Mr. Noggle. We're gonna make an exception. We really want your business. We're going to make that happen. Great. So once you get that monthly payment that you just negotiated, now with this car, what I said is I said, All right, well, let's, let's do this. They slide over all the financing paperwork. I said, I, I don't need the financing paperwork. Well, Mr. Naga, why not? We just went back and forth. I thought you were financing the car. I said, I am, but I'm financing it with my bank. So, and then the car guy says, Well, why did we go through all that? I said, Because I simply needed to know how much to pay my bank back. And if I didn't know how much you charged me, how could I know how much to pay my bank back? So true story. I mean, that's what I did with this car over at Northtown Porsche. So how this car worked: $63,000 car. I took the money as a loan for my banking policy, and I paid myself back, or I just started paying myself back. As a matter of fact, $13,000 a year. So if we, if I end up keeping this car for five years, here's the result of the third car that I buy into my policy. I still am making deposits, but only $7,200 deposits. I can't put $18,000 in anymore because of those IRS rules. So I put the max, which is seventy two hundred, in. Meaning over five years, I put an additional thirty six thousand in. If I keep this Porsche for the next five years, or I should say Larissa does, we've paid sixty five thousand with interest for that car over those that time frame. So if we run the numbers just like we did the last time, my total deposits and car payments back to myself are one hundred and one thousand. Okay, but I bought car for sixty three. So my true net injection into my banking system, which is the total amount of deposits and car payments minus the car is 38,000. So I put a net injection of 38 grand into this. If you look at the numbers right there in year 17, if I make it that long, I have $307,000 in cash value. And if we really just run the math, my plan grew by $122,354. And I know some of you are just listening to this and it's a lot of numbers, but here's the number you should pay attention to. For this portion, if I keep this thing for five years, at the end of the fifth year, I will have gotten $3.22 back for every single dollar I paid. In other words, I paid a dollar, I got back $2.22. I got back $3.22 for every dollar I paid for that Porsche. If that doesn't help you understand why this concept and why the infinite banking concept is something you need to learn, whether you're buying Porsches or Audis or, or Civics, it doesn't matter it works for Ford Focuses all the way up to Ferraris. We just got to add or subtract some zeros. This was my store. These were my cars. And what your cars are, that's to be determined. Earlier today, I did a case study with a guy. He's buying a Silverado. It's a $52,000 truck. We showed him how to get all the money back on that Silverado purchase. And all he did is changed one thing. And he didn't work any harder. He didn't work any longer. He didn't give up control of his money, and he didn't take on any additional risk. And I got one final slide. I just thought this was a, a funny one to put up there. But my way of doing this car purchases means that I paid zero money, zero money to the bank for all three of these car purchases. It means that I paid $16,481 to my bank. Now, anyone that would have a problem paying themselves or putting $16,481 in their bank, then you really need to look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, do I have something wrong with because no one should ever complain about paying themselves interest. You should complain when you're giving all your money away to somebody else. And the net result of these three cars is that all the money, every penny of all three of these cars is now in my bank, not somebody else's. And once I realized that, it brought up this movie called Dumb and Dumber. And you guys remember where they're on the little scooter driving and You know, like he's got that goofy look and he says, just when I thought you couldn't be any dumber, you go and do something like this and you totally redeem yourself. Well, when I learned how to do this, that's what I thought. I was like, I just redeemed myself because I went through a lot of hard times and this system, this infinite banking process has completely changed everything I do from buying real estate to buying cars to lending money and on and on. It also helped me climb out of debt. And I know I've talked to a lot of your, uh, your viewers on, from the prior one, and a big thing that we're helping them do is erase their debt in a much, much faster way than they ever could possible. And again, the thing everybody loves about it is it's just adding one additional step to your life.
1: In those previous examples, when you're talking about getting the money back, is that because... So that last car example, you had a net addition to your banking policy. I think it was like 38000 or so. Yeah, 38000 and your cash value growth after purchase grew by about 122,000. Is that where that 322 comes from? Is that you're gaining the value of your cash grew to 122,000 while your net deposit was only 38, so
2: the, the difference is times 3.22? That's correct. So the thing you have to understand that we didn't really cover, and is in this process of all three of these car purchases, every dollar that I put into these banking systems. Was earning a guaranteed four percent plus dividends, and in this policy, it's, it was about six point two percent. I was making that was four percent guaranteed. The rest was the dividends the insurance company paid me. But you see, every time I took money out, whether it was that twenty thousand dollar car, the forty five, or the, the sixty three thousand, every time I took that money out, I never stopped earning interest on all of my money. See, if you did this with a regular bank account, you'd make deposits in your bank, and your bank would pay you whatever the interest rate is. But the second you take the money out of your bank, the interest stops. The insurance company, remember what I said earlier, when I take the money out, when I take these loans, I'm not taking my money. My money stayed in the account, earning that 4% plus dividend the entire time. And that's what Albert Einstein talked about with that eighth wonder of the world, uninterrupted compound interest. This is the effect of uninterrupted compound interest. Money growing, and and this is the third car, money growing over a 17-year period without ever being interrupted and never, ever having to be interrupted or having withdrawals come out that stop the flow of that interest. Results and that it's just simple mathematics, folks. We're just not taught how this works because teaching somebody how this works when I was an advisor meant I didn't get paid as much. True story. In order to have a banking policy built, especially specially designed and engineered whole life like this, the advisor has to give up between sixty and ninety percent of their commission because in order for you to have access to all of your money, somebody has to give for somebody else to get. So that three dollars and twenty-two cents. Yes, you explained it. But how that happens is two things. Number one, uninterrupted compound interest on every penny of the money I put in. Number two, remember, I was paying myself back for those cars with interest. So now I was getting all that money from the interest that I used to give away to the banks. Now I'm keeping all that. So now I'm making money twice. I'm making money on the policy's interest, and I'm making money by paying myself back with interest.
0: Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey, everyone. It's Patrick, your host of Millennial
3: Investing.
0: This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Hey guys, the Range Rover Sport
3: leads by example. It's got powerful on road performance and commanding all terrain capability and combines assertive on road performance with the signature Range Rover refinement that you'd expect. The third generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet and redefines sporting luxury. with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com.
0: All right, back
3: to the show.
1: One of the things that I'm still trying to fully wrap my head around with this infinite banking policy is, let's take this last car as an example, right? You put in 63,000 once, throughout the years, just for simple numbers, we'll say you've put in a total of 63,000. So you've saved up that money. You've made those deposits into your policy. Now you take that money out to buy the car, and then you have to put that money back. So to me, it almost seems like you are paying that 63,000 twice into your account just to get the money out once. How is
2: that working? What is the mechanism there? So it's not a mechanism. It's just, you're correct. You're treating your money the same as the bank's money. So you're saying you're putting that money in twice. Once you deposit 63000 okay, for your regular savings, your regular deposits, and now all of a sudden you take it out, you buy a car, and then you pay it back into your policy again. So you're thinking you put it in twice, but let's think of the alternative. What is the alternative way to buy a car? Well, you could keep all the money, the 63000 in your account, go to the bank, finance the car, and exchange monthly payments to a regular bank. And in that turn, that bank makes all of that interest. And if you remember earlier on in the slides, I'll go back to it, but in the beginning of this, we showed all the interest that you would end up paying on each one of those cars. So on that last car, if we had done that, if we didn't take the money out of our banking policy and then pay it back to ourselves, we would have ended up paying $1,084 a month to a car dealership's finance company, which means over five years they made $9,758. I just decided to change who gets that nine thousand seven hundred and fifty-eight and pay it back to myself. Now, here's the thing that uh, I'll say to you, Robert, it's important to understand. Do I have to pay myself back for that car? I don't. It's my money. I saved that 63000 for that third car. If I took that 63000 out, like I said earlier, that was a loan. I don't have to pay that loan back. The insurance company subtracts that from my debt benefit. It's my choice because if you're going to be an honest banker, you need to treat your money the same as the bank's money. And if I took 63000 from a bank, I'd have to pay that bank back. So I treat my money just like the bank. And I take a loan from my bank and I pay my bank back. So it's just my choice. Now, it's what we teach. And I I tell everybody, it's your option. It's not your obligation. That monthly payment right there, 1,084 for that porsche that's my option to pay that back to myself. I don't have to. If times got tough and I didn't have 1,084 one month, and I don't pay it back to my policy, it just means that my my policy has $1,084 less money in it than it did before. That's all it means. A lot of people
1: will save cash for a car, say that 63000 that we initially put in, in hopes of not having to have a car payment. So I feel like it could potentially hurt some people where they put in the 63000 and then they withdraw it, pay cash for the car, and then they still got to make payments after they've already saved it up. So what happens if we, we decide we don't want to make those payments? How does that impact the policy?
2: Great question. It just wouldn't grow as fast. So you could, and it would still work because let's just do the math, right? How much money are you earning on the specially designed and engineered whole life? Remember, it was 4% guaranteed plus the dividend. In 2021, that's 6%. But if you take a loan from the insurance company, they charge you 5%. So if it was just the first year, how much money are you making? You're making 1%. So right now, if you put 63,000 in your bank account, and you went and you bought that Porsche and you took 63,000 out of your bank account, is your bank agreeing to still pay you 1% on money that's not in that account? No. So is it still better to buy a car my way versus buy a car using a traditional bank? Yeah, 1% better because that's the spread. But see, here's the part that's complicated and hard to explain in, in the course of the time that we had today you have to understand uninterrupted compound interest because if I deposited 63,000 and that 63,000 sat in that account over five years, just hypothetically, doesn't matter any period of time. The 63,000 isn't how much I have in the account. The 63,000 grew the first year by 6%. Then whatever that amount that it grew to grew by another 6%. You see, it keeps compounding up. And when I take the loan, the 5% loan that I took from my policy, that 5%'s never going to go up. It's not compounded. It's simple interest. So one stays level, the other keeps going up. So even if you never paid these loans back to yourself, you'd still keep making more and more money. Would you get all the money back for all the cars you're going to buy? No. But would you be better off than you are now if you just took cash from your account? Way better off.
1: If we were to deposit the 63000 take that back out to buy the car, and then not pay it back, are we still earning that 1% interest spread
2: on the 63,000? Yep, on the full amount. Now, that's not... I want to be clear. Not every insurance company will do this. We're talking about very specially designed policies with specific companies. The companies we use are what are called non-direct participating companies, which means they will pay interest and dividends on the full amount, even if you take all of that money out. So I just want to be clear. I don't want somebody running out to Allstate or to New York Life or to Northwestern Mutual taking out a whole life policy and thinking it's going to work this way. You will be very mad at me. These are very different than a regular whole life that you would buy at the life insurance store. They're completely different actually.
1: As we go through this pandemic, there are a lot of people that are using this time to slack off and be lazy, but there are others that are using it to get better. I know personally, I've had some peaks and valleys. Times where I've been a bit lazy and other times where I've really gotten after it. What have you done during this time to better
2: yourself? Oh, I've used this time and I call this the big pivot and I've pivoted everything I'm doing because I couldn't do the same things I was doing prior to the pandemic. So now in the pandemic, I've used the time to learn, read a lot of books, read books about history so I can understand what's coming. But the biggest thing I've done is I've used this time and Zoom to really get in front of more wealthy people that are doing this and using this to learn better ways to do things that I don't yet know how to do. And I think everybody should be using this time wisely for that, because this is that time where some of us, we don't have all the you know, things that we had to spend time on. A lot of us have extra time. If you're not using that extra time wisely, I think you're giving up a great opportunity that's right in front of you.
1: Chris, thanks so much for joining me again. Truthfully, my brain hurts. It always does. This is the third time we've chatted, my brain hurts again, just like it did the last two times. I'm sure it will the fourth time we talk. There's just so much in here that I, I love. It's, it's new to me. I'm learning it. I know everyone in the audience is learning too. I, I've gone back and listened to all our episodes multiple times just to fully wrap my head around it. And as a reminder for everyone listening, I'll put a link to the presentation that we discussed in the show notes below. So you can just click that link in your favorite podcast player to get that for free. And you can follow along as Chris and I talk through those three different car scenarios. We also have this going up on YouTube as a YouTube video. So if you're listening to this in your podcast player, there is a companion YouTube video where we show the presentation as well. So you can check that out if you're interested. Chris, where can everyone listening go to learn more about you and what you're working on?
2: Yeah. So the best place to learn about me is my website. It's chrisnoggle.com. I've got my book there. So all of you can get the book, Mapping Out the Millionaire Mystery for free. All the videos, I truly believe that got to give your best stuff away for free. So you can learn about this concept and you can learn a whole different, bunch of different ways to use infinite banking in your life. And it's all right on the website. Everything's for free. So please use it and enjoy it.
1: Those links will be below in your favorite podcast player as well. So be sure to check those out. Chris, thanks so much. I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. All right, guys. That's all I had for this week's episode of Millennial Investing. I'll see you again next week.
2: Thank you for listening to TIP.